quick intro of our guest. So if the statement mile one means anything to you, then you've definitely heard of today's guest or at least seen him shirtless running basically at any major race. Matt Choi is a content creator, entrepreneur, and fitness and running enthusiast based out of Austin, Texas. A former Division I football player at Monmouth University, he started his entrepreneurial journey as a professional trainer, helping people develop their health and wellness strategy, and is now known online for running marathons, ultra marathons, and various other endurance challenges, among other things, which we're so excited to dive into today. So Matt, welcome to RAD. Woo! What's up, squad? I'm really, that's a hell of an intro right there. I love that. You can use it. <laughs> update your, update your that. website that, that says you're still 27 years old. I know. Clearly, Joel, that's two years outdated. <laughs> it was Matt's birthday yesterday, so happy belated birthday, Matt. Thank you so much. I feel a year wiser. <laughs> a year wiser? We're excited to get a year into wiser. that I really do. year older wisdom on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, everything you learned in your 28th year can be the theme. Let's make it happen. <laughs> So the first thing that we like to kind of just get started, because obviously we gave a brief little intro, but we always like to ask that, what's something that most people don't know about you? Ooh, something most people don't know about me. Um, I'm a big fan of learning about the financial market. Oh. Yeah. That, that's actually a- something I'm really intrigued about. Like I were just, a- uh, like during COVID, what was that? I was going to say, were you a finance major? I wasn't like very opposite of it. Um, but during the pandemic, just as like a lot of COVID stocks hit and my, I was like living at home at my mom's and she was like really educating me about investing and, and like financial literacy. And I really got into a rabbit hole of books, like rich dad, poor dad. I read that. I'm like, Oh shit. Like I need to stop thinking like an employee. And it just changed my whole mindset around, um, you know, setting yourself up in your family and your legacy for the future and playing the long game. And it's actually a lot of my principles when it comes to business, when it comes to working, when it comes to fitness and running, like so much of it is about the long game. But I think so many people in today's age and, and, and especially like, you know, millennials and Gen Z's, it's everything's like on the fingertips. So it's like that instant gratification is really rewarded. Um, but truly, the best things in life take time. And I'm a big believer in that, but that's something that a lot of people don't know about me. That's really cool. And honestly, respect. I feel like there's so many people, especially in our generation that, I mean, I'm kind of one of them that like knows nothing about investing and things like that. And so like taking the time and energy and like also it applies to so many other aspects of your life, like what you were saying of there's a lot of things that are the long game, not just the things you've learned in financial. So that's cool. Yeah. I also think I agree. I also think off the bat, like that's going to answer a lot of questions and kind of spark an interesting conversation here. Cause obviously one of the things that we're going to talk about, I'm going to get into is social media and being an influencer and content creator and all that stuff. So, which can very much like be mm-hmm. that, but you're talking about the instant gratification and um, not as focused on the long game and just, you know, the short term. So I think that's a really interesting perspective to have in this field, which I'm excited to learn more about your perspective on that. I mean, I guess going right into that, what made you start posting on social media? And like, how did you start that whole, your whole journey with that, especially going off of, also you said you studied something opposite of fine. What did you study in college? And like, is it related? Well, I mean, I studied, I I studied um, business marketing and management. So it kind of falls in line with social. Okay. So yeah. When did you get started on your social media journey and how? Yeah, I was working. um, So I was working a corporate job first it was a job out in baltimore maryland so i was living in maryland at the time and i was working um like a sales job and a lot of that was just kind of like my first job right out of school like doing the things that all like college kids do like checking the box off of oh you get a job and you make sure that you make your parents proud and i was definitely going along that path but i found that i wasn't really passionate about what i was doing and at the time i was living in um, baltimore and i had three roommates two of them, which I went to high school with, which are like two good friends of mine. And then I was, you know, we were just, I was getting by, I had the for corporate job. I was getting paid every two weeks. And I thought that this was like what life is going to be. And I quickly realized that a lot of people weren't really satisfied with what they were doing, especially in the ecosystem that I was working in. So I just started to take some time and invest in myself. Um, a lot of this just became reading books and listening to podcasts and honestly changing my software internally of like, 
the people I was listening to, the people that I would consume content from. And I stumbled upon a book that a friend recommended to me called Crushing It by Gary Vee, where he talks about how with the day and age of social media and devices, everyone, not everyone, but people can make a brand and make a business out of their interests. And I really thought about that for a second. Like football was my identity all the way up until 23 years old. And I thought like, what if I had a world where I could coach football and, you know, do fitness for the rest of my life? That's kind of how the, the first seed got planted in terms of, oh, I want to start posting on social. So much of my journey early on was me just posting fitness content. And at the time I was right out of school, had worked a corporate job for a year and a half. And I was like, you know what, let me lean into fitness because that's one thing that if I didn't really care about money, like I would continue to do till I die. So that's kind of how it all started. The book Crushing It really opened my eyes about where attention was going. And a lot of it was leaving billboards and TV ads, and it was going onto the devices. And at that time, Facebook was at its mecca, at its like tipping point. And it was one of those things where I just wanted to, to, to attempt it. And that's kind of how it all started. That's really cool. I think, you know, taking your passions and turning it into what you're doing for a living is something that everyone dreams of and I think it's really cool that you like brought that into reality it's like truly the working to live not live well you are kind of living to work also but you're because your work is your life um and it's everything you love doing I think in this fitness space especially now this fitness social media space is super saturated so I think I would love to hear how you went about this creating content in a way that's different than other people and what, how you went about coming up with things that someone would take something away that's different than these other content creators in the fitness space. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent, it's very saturated. I mean, every industry is saturated, right? Especially um, nowadays when everyone has a device, everyone has a computer in their pocket pretty much. I think the biggest thing I can say when it comes to like differentiating your content and being authentic, cause that's really what the question is. It's like, ultimately no one can be, no one else can do a better job of being yourself. And I think early on, it was understanding like what that looks like and what that means, right? It's like, I think every creator, every human, every, you know, athlete gets inspiration from somebody, right? And you can take that inspiration and, and kind of make it your own. It's like making your own recipe in the kitchen. It's like, I can go look at Dan Churchill's recipe, but maybe I don't like parsley on my thing, or maybe I don't like as much pepper, right? So I can make, I can use his like, his baseline, his foundation, and then make my own twist to it. And I think, I, I think the same thing about content. It's like, oh, my buddy Hella was like a really big runner when I first got into this space. And I'm looking at what he's doing and looking at like what Nick Bear was doing and looking at Nick Simmons and taking what they already built as a foundation and then putting my own twist to it. And I think that's my always challenge with content and with, with creators coming up. It's like, yo, it's not stealing content. It's just making it your own. And I think that's something that is really to be, it's profound because it's, look guys, once you put something online, it's like, it's not stealing. It's like, you've publicly pushed it out there. Yeah. So you can't get mad if someone takes a similar framework, a similar idea and makes it their own. And I think that's the biggest challenge for most creators is not to just copy what everyone else is doing, but to put your own voice to it and to put your own twist to it. So for example, like the first video that really went viral for me was the mile splits. Mm -hmm. And I had seen my buddy Hella actually do these types of videos, but he would never say the actual split. He would just post it on his screen. So I just thought of the idea of like, imagine I can run a marathon and just say the mile of every single freaking split. <laughs> and at that time, I wasn't as like an ex as an experienced runner. So people were just so baffled that I could hold the phone while I run and then make a little clip of it. But realistically, that two second clip of me saying mile three, seven minutes, like it's not taking that much energy out of me, but it was just different because not many people did it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's my challenge for a lot of creators. It's like, how do you find your own voice in the marketplace? Because every industry is saturated, but no one can do a better job of being yourself. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think there's like a very fine balance of being original, but also being inspired. And I think that both of those are obviously part of this industry. And I think it's all like kind of that, yeah, that balance of like giving credit to where credit is due, 
but also not being offended if other people are using your the similar ideas because that like people say like copying is the biggest form of flattery and I think you made a really good point where like no one really has a true original thought like it always comes from other existing ideas and it's making it your own and putting your own voice to it I want to back it up a little bit here because you mentioned briefly that up until you were 23 years old football was your whole identity and so a little change of gears here but I I really am interested in knowing like your whole background with sports being a D1 athlete and then even the transition to running and how you got into that because obviously that's a huge part of your brand and what you do day to day now yeah I mean as, as a kid I mean me and my brother grew up with a single mom so Sports was like the one time where like we would have a lot of male role models in our lives. And my mom, I think, quickly realized that she tried to force us to play the violin and we just chose not to freaking do that. <laughs> and I think um, I think for her as a single mom, it was realizing like, okay, like I want to, you know, put my boys into extracurricular activities. Like what's going to get them the biggest ROI? And I mean, as most Asian American parents, like schools is school and academics is the number one. And then it's typically a creative instrument. And then it's like, okay, maybe sports. Mm -hmm. um, I think my mom quickly realized that like our interests lean further into sports and she let us kind of dive into that. So it started with soccer and then I kind of lean into football. And then, you know, I played football for the first time playing flag. And when I lived in Las Vegas at 10 years old and I just loved it, I just, I, could not get enough of it. I would practice every day. I would go outside and throw the ball to myself. And it just was one of those things where my mom had never asked me to go practice. I just wanted to. And I think it's very difficult to have kids to do that nowadays because you have a lot of parents that want their, that are living through their kids. And whether you're a father and you didn't make it to the college level or NFL level, and you want your kid to love it just as much as you did, but sometimes forcing them creates a level of resentment that the kid doesn't love it as much. So I think what I got super blessed with was that my mom never forced me to play football or sports. I just wanted to. And I took that same level of obsession and passion and I had it all the way up until college when I was playing college football. And then, you know, that stuff doesn't go away. I always tell this to people. It's like, you know, that, that feeling you get in the morning when you're, before you go on a long run or before you go on a marathon or before two a days or before practice or whatever it is that someone might be interested in. It's like, we have that until we die. It's our job to, to continue to like keep that on fire and continue to keep that lit as we get older because sometimes chapters close. For me, football closed, but that fire didn't go away. It, it was still lit. I just had to use a different outlet to kind of keep it going. And I think that's when I found content creating and I found sports, not sports, but fitness and then running kind of dabbled into it because running didn't actually happen until... I was being a personal trainer and posting online. It kind of happened during the pandemic just because the serendipity of us being locked down and me being laid off as a trainer. And then me reading the book, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And it's all these little things that just come into fruition. And then it's having a level, a level of delusional confidence of saying like, I'm not a runner, but like, let me go run a mile and just kind of start there. And then, you know, one thing leads to another and you guys know it. I mean, it's one of those things where it becomes an obsession and that obsession can take you a lot of places. And for me, it's taking me all over the world and it, I've gotten to get connected with awesome people like you guys. And some people I looked up to throughout this device and now I've been able to be friends with. So I think that there's so many positives that come with social and following your passions. And obviously everyone doesn't have the same story around it, but it's something that hopefully can inspire other people to, to potentially chase their thing. I think that's really cool. And, um, I think it's been amazing to see, I mean, we're even relatively new to the running world, but as you said, it's like an obsession now and it just like lights this fire inside of you. And it's a really cool thing to see, especially athletes like you of like the pipeline from being a competitive division one athlete to then going into athletics and finding it for yourself and like still having such a passion for sports and such an outlet for that. And even people who like you, like were not a runner before and just one day deciding to lace up your shoes, but everyone still has that internal like competitive fire that they're looking to keep lit. I think it's really cool. And as we've continued to be in the, the running scene and community and just seeing that on all levels of runners, I think it's, it's super powerful. So really cool to hear. Yeah. I also, I think it's really cool. You know, you said that 
started off running one mile and then you know you got into marathons ultra marathons all these other endurance races and at this point you've run a lot of races of all different styles and you know how has that progression looked like to you and how has that changed the meaning of running and fitness also over the years as you've gotten into it more yeah i mean it's it first started with the murph workout and that's kind of like and the murph is a mile run 100 pull-ups 200 push-ups 300 squats and another mile and doing that 30 days in a row like it's a mixture of it's a crossfit workout so it's a mixture of strength and in and and somewhat endurance so doing that kind of let a found laid a good foundation for me but as i kind of got further into just the running aspect like it, it led me into a lot of ultra stuff first which in my opinion built a level of like mental toughness and and discipline that not that you don't get that in in marathons but i think a lot of people struggle with like the mental aspect when it comes to running a marathon but for me, like I ran a 50 mile race before I ever ran a marathon. So it was almost interesting that like that dynamic was interesting because I kind of just threw myself into the fire. Like I, this was all during COVID, right guys? Like it, there was no races. Mm -hmm. So the only, only races that were like available to sign up for were ultras because there weren't as many people in them. And it's a lot further, like it's further distances and there's, it's not as claustrophobic and, and like, like mm -hmm. it would be like a world major. Right. Mm -hmm. So the first race I ever did was the Buffalo. It was a Buffalo Island run. It was called the Antelope Island. Um, it was in Utah in Salt Lake city. And you just went to this mountain and it, it was the middle of nowhere in Utah. And you're just running, <laughs> you're running different peaks. And I think running that first ultra, I started to realize like, Oh shoot. Like, not that the marathon distance would be easy, but the thought of double 2xing it and running 50 miles and thinking that like this this is nearly impossible to do, but then to be able to accomplish it opened up so many eyes and like so many like different things for me internally of just like, oh shoot, like the human body, the mind, and the spirit is capable of so many things. And it then snowballed into, oh, like, let me go actually run a marathon. And then the first one I ever did was in Philadelphia, and then I ran like a 309. Well, actually, technically, the first one I ever ran was on my 26th birthday, but it wasn't a real race. It just ran around like a 1.5 mile loop. Nice. Um, <laughs> so it, it was like, it's like all these things that add up, guys. Like, I think, honestly, the first marathon on my 26th, so that's roughly three years ago now when I ran my first ever marathon, it was no one out there cheering. It was me just running around a loop after it had snowed. And I was just like trying to get it done. I didn't care how fast or how slow it was. It was just a matter of finishing the distance. But I think what I've realized over the years of running different distances and different races with different rules and different terrains, it's that the challenge of running is different every single day, every single marathon, every race. But that's the beauty of it is that you can never predict exactly how a race is going to be. And that's actually the best similar similarity to life. It's like, you can wake up every single day, but some days it might be cloudy. Some days it might rain. Some days it might be beautiful. Some days it might be pouring. Whatever the variables are, it's showing up to life with an attitude that's positive regardless of the circumstance. And I think that's the biggest lesson I learned through all those races. It's like, okay, so what? It's raining. So what? It just snowed. So what? I didn't bring the right gels. I don't have the right shoes. Like It's actually coming up with like that laissez-faire mentality of just like, I'm just going to get it done regardless mm -hmm. of the variables not being on my side. So I think that's the biggest thing I learned. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And like a, such a good point because I mean, we preach all the time, especially as you know, we've both run ultras at this point, but like distance perspective is a huge thing. And like, once you've hit certain milestones, even down to like people who are just getting into running, running five miles for the first time or 10 miles for the first time is it makes you less scared of the distance and like the task at hand. However, every time you run it, you're going to learn something new about yourself in the sport. And it's like such an exciting thing to show up at the start line of a race or the beginning of a run. And there is that unknown uncontrollable. And I had a coach once that said, you can only control the controllable. And I think like one of the most exciting parts of running is seeing those uncontrollable parts and like how to deal with that. Um, and so you've obviously, as you mentioned, run a ton of races what is one would love to hear like what your favorite distance is and also what your favorite race of all time that you've done it mm. 
I, I love this. Um, I would say that the marathon is dope. I'm a fan of the marathon. I truly believe in my heart. I'm more of an ultra guy, even though I have not ran more than one ultra of every distance. So mm -hmm. like, like for me to say like that, the hundred miler is more fun than the 50 mile. Like I would, I don't know because I've literally only ran one fifty K race, one fifty mile race, and then a hundred mile race. I've done ultras outside of that, but they weren't necessarily necessarily races. So mm -hmm. I think that the the kind of like pop proper answer would probably say like I mean marathons are dope. Like I, I think marathon is a good distance. Um, so I would say that. But once I complete Leadville this year, I might have a different opinion on that. I think for me, the reason I'm even saying that I like ultra a little bit more though is that. I kind of like the solitude. I like that there's not as many people out there cheering for you. I like that there's like a lot more time to be in your own space to like really enter the pain cave. And you can do that in a marathon, but like world majors are just so dope. Like they're so popular. There's so many people cheering you on. There's so many distractions and it's such a beautiful thing. And like, it's, I mean, Joel, you, we, Sarah, you guys got, I mean, we, I ran with you guys in Berlin. Like it's even for me, like when I go run, it's like, it becomes a lot of just like interactions too with people. And it's like, that stuff motivates me. It keeps me moving as well. And it's also could be a distraction. I'm super humbled. Anytime someone wants to like say what's up during a race or during a run, it's like the most humbling feeling that someone actually is going out of their way to say hello while we're all completing this marathon. But there's something special about an ultra where like, most people just don't care because they're just so in the thick of their like getting, they're getting after it. And, and most times you're just going at a distance that you've never done before, or you're entering a different territory just because it's something so new. So I think it's kind of a double sorted answer. I mean, obviously I've ran a lot of marathons, um, but I do like ultras in terms of my favorite marathon. It is by far New York city. I Ooh. don't know how else to say this. I don't really care about the times I run in New York, but there's something special about towing the line and run, running through all five boroughs and just seeing how many people come out to support strangers, family, friends. There's something truly special about the marathon weekend in New York City that I I, I don't know. Like I grew up in Jersey and in and, and New York as a kid and my dad still lives in Queens and I've never seen how like magical the city is. I've literally never experienced a New York City Marathon until two years ago. All my 26 and a half years of life, I've never been in New York City during the marathon. So to experience that last year for the very first time and to run it, I'm at a loss for words. When people ask me, is New York worth it? I say, without a doubt, there's no other race that I would tell someone to go experience than New York City. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100% agree we've been in New York Sarah ran it last year and then we were both here cheering this year and like literally our favorite weekend of the year we were at most of the majors like it was just it's an incredible energy it's such a positive experience all around like seeing everybody in their mm -hmm. own in their own race but also doing it as a community collective it's an incredible incredible sight um even just being there cheering so yeah completely agree with that it's so electric and it's so cool to hear I've met so many people since we moved here just at run clubs that were like oh I didn't start running until I watched the New York marathon because it just inspires so many people that like people who have never put on a pair of running shoes are like I want to run now after watching these people run a really hard course and do really hard things yeah. um but it's just such a magical weekend absolutely nothing compares to it I also yeah. think no, I, uh, special. It's special. Yeah. I also think it's, you know, so interesting what you're saying about um, people on the course and getting recognized and the, and cheering and people cheering because yeah, like one of the things we talk about from Berlin and like something that was amazing for us to watch was people on the course, recognizing you coming up to you, running with you, cheering you on. It's just, it's incredible that you have this community all over the world and that you're able to connect with them anywhere that you go. But it also, yeah, like the the altern alternate side of it of, you know, pull it pulling you out of your race. And if you are going for PR, you're, you know, maybe not having the best day, having to also manage all of that. And I guess the two sides of this is being a public figure now on social media and, you know, it has its benefits, but then it can also have its challenges. Um, so how is that something that you balance and manage when it does have its challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think that the challenges 
the benefits outweigh the challenges, right? And I think that's kind of how I think about most things. It's like, there's always a win, even though like there might be some like micro L's that, that might happen in like a, in a race or even just having like being in the public eye. I think obviously guys, and like, it's like not that extreme for my day-to-day life, right? Like it's when it's around races, it's like super hyper-focused because it's like the thing that people know me for, but like everyday life, like I'm not necessarily having to deal with that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's in those moments where, yeah, like there's obviously eyes when the Boston marathon's happening or the New York city marathon or any major race. And because it's a hyper-focused niche, there's more attention to it in terms of actually dealing with like the pros and cons that come with that. I think it's, not beating myself up too much if things go well or things go bad. And I think it's really staying even keel and understanding who I am as a human first. And that all of us are living on this floating rock. And it's one of those things where, you know, some days you're going to feel good, some days you're not. And, and the best thing you can do is control your attitude. And mm-hmm. when people come up to me, I'm like so humbled. It's amazing. It's a great feeling that someone has elicited in a response of watching a video that I make. And that triggers them to go run a race or that triggers them to get moving or that triggers them to, to begin their half marathon, marathon journey, whatever it is. Equally, there's a responsibility that I do have now where, you know, I can't, I have to dot my I's and cross my T's and I need to make sure that I'm doing everything from like the public eye properly, no different than like the bib meal thing. Right. I think that those things are really good learning lessons and when you know that your intent is not coming from a malicious or a bad place, if you do mess up, it's just not beating yourself up. And I think that was my mentality when I got caught with being a big meal last year. It was just like, okay, like everyone's going to have an opinion. Everyone's going to have a, he said, she said moment of like, Oh, Matt is not a good dude. He's a cheater. He's a fraud. Like these are all opinions that people are, are capable of having because this is the world we live in. But I think for me internally, how I deal with it is just understanding that like, the, the person that I am and the intent that I want for the world and the impact I want to leave are not these things that people are assuming. And as long as I'm internally okay with that, I can't control how everyone's going to feel about what I do and what I say and what I post. So it's not necessarily, it's not my job to, uh, to control those things. It's just controlling how I feel about myself and what I'm telling myself in open ears in closed, like in closed off um, sections. Like I think that's kind of the game. And, a lot of that is learning through your own mistakes. And I think the bib meal thing by far was a moment for me to really reflect about who I am as a human, who I am as a, as a man of just like, what's my character. And there was never a moment where I was just like it. There was never a moment where I was like, I failed. And like, this is now I'm never going to pose again. Like internally, I'm like, if like, if, 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 if I was actually trying to get someone into Boston and actually cheat, then I would feel worse about it because they caught me, right? Like they, I had made the mistake, but like those were not my intentions. So I quickly went into a mindset of showing myself grace and owning it. And I think in life, showing humility and ownership are the biggest things you can do when you fuck up. And in that moment, that's kind of that's kind of what happened. And to answer your original question of like how to deal with it, I think it's some, um, it's there's not a rule book for it, but. I think it's showing yourself grace and not letting your head get too big just because people are wanting to come and take pictures with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I am going to massively commend you on all of this because especially being people who knew you on the internet before we had met you in real life. And like now we've seen both sides of this. I think that um, you do a really great job of continuing the positivity that you show online your positive outlook and your attitude towards everything and the things you're passionate about in life carry over into meeting you in person which is not always the case with people in the public eye and so just want to you know commend you and give you props for that of like everything that we see online shows in person and vice versa that how we know you personally it shows your content shows your passion and the grace that you also give other people and the support so um we're big fans always. I appreciate that. <laughs> Matt Troy Thank fan you. club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. When I saw that on your story, I was like, yo, I want to know more. <laughs> um, okay. Switching gears just a little bit, because one thing that we also 
want to, because I haven't actually spoken to you about this since you finished, but um, your South Korea ultra race that you just completed at the end of 2023, because this is obviously, mm-hmm. you mentioned that some of the races you've done haven't been official races, and this is one of the biggest ones that you've done yet, I believe. So yeah, we want to hear a little bit, I guess, a little bit of background on what this race was and what inspired you to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one was special. I think um, it wasn't even a race. It was just like, a, it was a long run. And <laughs> a 10 day <laughs> long run. Yeah, it's a 10 day long ultra. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because a lot of people like they were confused because they thought this was like an actual thing that like you signed up for and that there's bibs and all those things. But you know, selfishly, guys, like it was really an opportunity for me to like further lean into my culture. And I hadn't been back to Korea since I was seven years old. So it was a long time coming to come back to where my parents and my grandparents grew up. Obviously, me being Asian American, I grew up, I was born in the States, but um, having parents that, that grew up in Seoul, it was a special opportunity to go see it on foot. And I always tell people that there's no better way to see a new city somewhere new that you haven't been than on foot or on a bike. And the opportunity to go do that at the end of the year last year was really special to me. And it meant more than a lot of my races that I really did last year, just because it was like more of a cultural homecoming. And for me, it was like leaning further into the things I didn't really get when I was a kid. And part of that was being immersed into Korean culture and and being forced to learn more of the language and, and understanding like, you know, different cultural things that might not be as relevant here in America but are really important in Korea. And to then be able to go through like the rural parts because how Korea is set up, I mean, Seoul is massive. It's bigger than New York City. It's 10 million people and think New York's at 9 million. And it's huge. And you kind of feel the gravity of how big it is just when you get there. And I was there four days prior to running and it just, it, it's very similar to New York. You kind of feel that similar energy. Every, there's so much traffic. Everyone's using public transportation. And the city that we're running to is the second biggest city, Busan, which is all the way down south. And it's kind of like San Francisco vibes. It's very hilly. It's near the water. It's kind of like a beach town. And those are the two major cities in Korea. Everything in between is farmland. It's agriculture. It's very small towns, not many young people. So it was harder to activate those cities while we were running in the middle of days two through eight because there's not many young people. And it was beautiful still because we got to see it in a way that not many people do. And when you're running through these small towns, when there's a lot of older people still working in the farms and they're still like planting cabbage and peppers and all these things, you start to have a greater appreciation of the labor and the intensive work that elderly people are having to put in because a lot of younger people don't want to do that shit. And seeing it with your own eyes, it's something that's, it it gets you closer connected to it. And I think more than anything, even outside the run, like when people ask me about Korea, I never really talk about the run because it wasn't as impactful to me as it was the cultural stuff. And it was meeting like locals, right? It's like talking to the local bagel shop owner, which there's not many of, (laughs) or the local small like restaurant, right? Like it's those moments and those interactions and even the looks of people when we told them what we're doing it's how much grace people showed us. And I think in those moments, it's what I cherish the most. It's those interactions and those opportunities to just be human and to lean into the culture. And I think that's what I cherish the most. And I love that we were able to do it over the the span of 10 days because I was physically, it was to Joel's point, one of the hardest things I've done, but equally it gave us time to soak it in each day. That's really cool. I think it's really powerful that, you know, this wasn't just a run, like it was connecting to something so personal to you. So this next question might be a little difficult, but if you could describe this, you know, hundred of mile races over 10 days through all of South Korea in three words, what would those three words be? Wow. Um, that is a three separate words. Yeah. Um I would say I would say a homecoming would be one. Um 
gritting it. Grit would be the second one. Grit. And then optimistic was the third one. And I think it's just like those three things are kind of what helped myself and the entire team kind of push through the end. I think that there's a lot of low moments. There's high moments. There's uh, like, obviously just like, you know, mental lapses and, and, and moments that you just are questioning, you know, if we can finish it or not. And I think the, the attitude of the team, you know, starting with myself, it kind of, it bled through just like being optimistic and staying positive. And I think when you're really deep into an old trend and into a pain cave, it's, it's one of the most important factors. And I think guys, you guys know, like having a crew that is also those things that are willing to endure and, and be optimistic. It's, it's so needed. <laughs> yeah. Running is a team sport. We'll say it over and over and over again. And I'm sure there's so many like incredible stories and that you had during this experience, but is there any in particular, like funny or crazy that just stand out that you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think um, the one thing that really stands out the most to me is how we got our, the fourth crew member, our driver on board. And I think you guys would appreciate this of just like the serendipity of life. And it's one of those things where to your point about energy and, and being positive and being like that, because I get that a lot. It's like people always are surprised that like I'm pretty similar to how I am on social when they meet me in real life. But my buddy Felix, who ended up driving us all the way through Korea for 10 days, he took 12 days off of work. Um, he's a UK guy who models out in Korea. And I had met him on Friday evening and we were starting the run on Sunday. A friend of mine I met through social media, his name is Zay. He was helping with a lot of logistics as we were planning from, you know, America and then making our way over to Korea. But he was like, yo, we should meet up at this coffee shop at five o'clock PM on, on Friday. I said, okay, cool. Knowing me, I was like at Lulu and I had a bunch of errands to run. I was, we were running a little bit late. So I texted him I'm like, yo, I'm like 15 minutes behind. He's like, dude, don't sweat it. I bumped into my buddy. And I was like, all right, cool. He bumped into his friend, Felix, who to give you guys context, Felix last year rode the same exact path, Seoul to Busan on a bike. So no he way. had experience doing this. In addition, he speaks really good Korean. He has a Korean girlfriend. He's really immersed in the Korean culture. And to the point where he was speaking most of the Korean to all those people that we were meeting because like he truly can speak it well and understand it which was a really, really big benefit for, for the team. Cause it was me and my brother who speak very little Korean, understand it a lot better than we can speak it. And then Ahmed, who you guys know, but Ahmed is Moroccan and he wasn't adding much value in the communication. portion. <laughs> Nonetheless, um, I show up to this coffee shop and I meet my buddy Zay and then his buddy Felix. And we start talking about like, yeah, like, dude, this is where we're at X, Y, and Z. These are like the, the missing logistics. And my buddy Zay got us a, a, a minivan, like, like not needing to pay for it. He's his buddy just lo like loaned it to us pretty much. Um, but we didn't have a driver. And in Korea, you need an international like a permit. So none of us had it. And as we're talking about this, we're like, damn it, we need a driver. Like, what, what are we going to do? Felix takes out his laptop and like starts to like look shit up. He's like, yo, you can go to the MVA on Monday, but you probably wouldn't get your permit until Tuesday or Wednesday. And I looked at him, I said, Felix, we need to start on Sunday. Like, we don't have time to linger. And we, like, he, he stayed there for about 15 minutes. And we just kept going through all, like, the different options of how to get someone to drive us and all these things. And, you know, my buddy's day was like, yo, we could just hire, you guys can hire someone to drive you. But he might not speak really good English. He might just be able to speak Korean. But as you guys can imagine, like, we're doing this for 10 days. Like, you know, it's like a team thing. It's like, we're going to be getting closer. We're going to like get to know each other and all these things. It's like, it would be nice to have someone that can speak English and Korean so that we can actually like, like get to know them. Yeah. So long story short, Felix ends up leaving. And the last thing my buddy Zay asked him was like, yo, he's like, Felix, you should just drive them. And he was jokingly like, the funny thing is I don't have any work for the next like two weeks. And I told Felix, I said, you just met us 15 minutes ago. We're completely strangers, but I promise you one thing. You are going to have an experience if you come join us and do this. And I would be more than happy to pay you whatever the cost of being a driver is. He obviously exceeded the expectations of what just a driver would have done. But he was like, let me think about it. I'm going to talk to my girlfriend. And I said, okay. 
And we end up going to get some Korean barbecue. And two hours later, my buddy Zay gets a text from Felix and he says, I'm in. And in that moment, I truly felt like there was no stopping us after getting that done because that was the one piece that we really, like even me going into Korea, like I, I went in without having everything planned because it's just how I live. Mm-hmm. No different than me not signing up for the Houston Marathon last year, three weeks prior. I just don't stress some of these details just because I feel like, you know, you know, I believe in God, but like whatever someone believes in a higher power, like there, there's things working at that humans can't control. And having him be at that coffee shop at the same time, just because I was running a little bit late was truly one of the most special moments. And it comes full circle, guys, because Rob Dalto calls me yesterday, wish me happy birthday. And he's like, dude, guess what? I'm going to go to Korea before I go to Japan for the Tokyo Marathon. I said, that is dope. He's like, what recommend, what recommendations do you have? And I, we, I go through a list. My brother hops on here. He's like, we're telling him all this shit. And I say, you are going to have to meet my buddies, Felix and Zay. They're like family. And they're going to show you everything you need to know. And I put them in a group chat on Instagram and they're all chatting and they're all getting hyped. They're like, oh, dude, let's fucking go. We're going to go run all these things. And it was so fun and fulfilling for me to get Rob connected with them because I know that they're going to just show him a great time. And Rob's going to have a different experience of soul now because he has someone to connect with when he's there. And I think above all else, and I just went on a whole spiel, the biggest thing I, I, I loved about going to Korea was I felt like I left with a family and a community there. No different than when I go to New York and get to see you guys versus Tyler or whoever, in a, when my buddy's in Atlanta or LA. Like, it's leaving a place feeling like you have family. And that was really special for me. That is incredible. So beautiful. I love that was- stars aligning. Yeah. No, and it just shows really the power of community and and really the the positive side of these online platforms and these and the content creation world because like most of these people you wouldn't know them you would we wouldn't know you if it weren't for these platforms and having those um forms of connecting with people and connecting other people like you're doing with Rob now and so I just think that's such an amazing example of like the real positive side of of all of this I could not agree more with all of these incredible races and runs and experiences you've had thus far, especially in this past year, coming into 2024, what is a goal that you have for this year? It could be running related. It could be personal. Just one big goal at top of mind. Yeah, I think um, I'll give you both. I think the running goal I have for this year is like I, I – I have two that I really like that I wrote down that I'm really bullish about. It's running a 250 marathon. I don't know what race that's going to be, but I want to do that this year. And then I want to run sub 25 hours at Leadville 100. Like those are just two running goals that, that I'm personally just trying to attack. Personally, I'm leaning so much further right now into doing a lot more philanthropic stuff when it comes to running and utilizing my platform in a different way. I think, you know, what I've been able to build over the past couple of years is amazing. And the more I think about it and the more I was able to do some stuff last year with different charities and to run with my friend, Adrian Bunn, it's using my platform as a megaphone for people that might not have that. And I think it's leaning further into doing like philanthropic runs or charity runs or things of that sort that it's just making, like, you know, running's having this moment. It's so dope. Younger people are getting into it. Social is getting a major lift in it. Major brands are putting a lot of money into it. And equally, I think that there's an opportunity here to utilize it for a positive thing because so many people are into it. So that's kind of my personal goal. And it's kind of where I see a lot of my stuff going in the future. And and just, I want, I don't want to just be remembered as the runner guy or the TikTok guy. And I keep telling these people I talk to, it's like, if I am only remembered as that, then I just didn't do what, I feel like I'm meant to do on this earth. And I feel like I have a lot of impact and I have a lot of things I want to accomplish selfishly for myself, but in addition for others. So that's kind of, you know, the next thing for me personally, it's a lot more in the philanthropic area and it's going to come in a different form in, in a bunch of different formats, whether it's like sustainability stuff with my friend, Tina mirror, or it's doing stuff for the charity I worked with last year, culture city, or in the future, maybe having my own foundation where that money will get allocated to a specific thing that resonates with me. But in the current state, I think it's really just utilizing my platform in a way that is not just about like closing brand deals and doing X, Y, and Z. And like, that will always be something I do because at the end of the day, like I need to have a business operating or I can't do any of those things. So 
it's just prioritizing it and allocating time for different stuff and philanthropic stuff is definitely in that, in that bucket. That's really awesome. And also, I mean, so cool that you're also like two running goals are so opposite kind of fully full circle of everything we've talked about. The fact that, you know, you're trying to run a super fast marathon, but then you also have this really intense ultra marathon that you're going to be running built in with, you know, all of the amazing um, philanthropy and good work that you're able to do with your platform. Yeah, we really glazed over Leadville. Like, yeah, that's actually insane. Well, we're gonna so have exciting. to have you back after Leadville and hear all about that because that's gonna be awesome, and we're so excited to cheer you on. If you need if to fill any spaces on your crew, oh yeah, that too. <laughs> oh, ladies, to I will pace. let you know. Please. I will let you know. Please. Um, but yeah, I would love. Yeah, look, we have time till Leadville august yeah, so we got I'll let you know about the crew and we'll, we'll definitely have to have another chat about it um it's definitely it, it's going to be an intense goal um but we'll see we're gonna we're gonna take a shot at it yeah it's so sick so to finish off our episode we like to do a little rapid fire it's like very unrelated to anything just fun and lighthearted. so uh we'll get into that now to, to round it out if that's that's cool let's go okay first question what is your spirit animal Wow. <laughs> What'd you say? I said cheetah. Cheetah. Okay. I see that. I see it. Yeah, it makes sense. The 250 marathon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um if there is one celebrity you could go for a run with, who would it be? Mm-hmm. That is a hell of a question. <laughs> um The Rock. Awesome. Oh, I would love like, to do a, I would love to do a mile challenge with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> I used to work at Under Armour. I feel like I could find the right connection to make this. Happen. Yeah, I, th- I think I think this is like something that could happen. I think that'd be so fun. <laughs> make that happen. Let's make that happen. <laughs> we'll work on this. Um, okay, so you're also known. You you know you're one of some of your viral videos are like everything that you eat during a marathon or a race. What mm-hmm. is something that you absolutely would not eat? in one of these bases if, if someone handed it to you? You know what? Someone was handing this out in Austin. Fresh <laughs> bacon. Oh, Something about the greasiness of bacon, I just would not necessarily eat during it. I'm more of a savory guy. Like I'll do the donuts and carbs and things like that. But the bacon, I looked at it, it was crispy as hell. I just was like, uh, not today. <laughs> That's actually not really today. funny because Lucy Schultz, like the girl who won TSP Solo last year, she when we had her yeah. on, she said that her favorite running snack was crispy bacon. Good for her. <laughs> I also really I, like that you. you just said you're a savory guy, but then said you would go for the donut right after. <laughs> Those are not the same thing. You're right. No, no, I'm, I, I meant sweet. <laughs> I miss sweet, Sarah. I'm more of like a, I like candy and like, like, okay, like yeah, sugary right shit when I'm running. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. That I meant more sweet, 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 not savory. Not okay. Sweet. Okay. That makes sense. I get that. All right. Really going off the wall here. What is your worst first date story? Ooh, worst <laughs> first date story. Um, damn, that is going off the walls. Um, <laughs> trying to think here i don't think i've had like many shitty first date stories um we love that yeah i i I don't i don't have anything i can like comes off the top of my head that's really good you lucky guy (laughs) yeah (laughs) i could i i could probably go down further into my archives but not nothing that's like like catastrophic we don't need to bring up past trauma yeah (laughs) Um, I love that. Would you rather only be able to run in a full sweatsuit or never be able to use social media ever again? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> um, like a full tracksuit? Yeah, like sweatsuit, like sweatpants, sweater, the whole thing. The lore. Wow. Really that That's far. really going off brand as the shirtless runner. Exactly. But if you can't use social media, then can't, how, do you, how are you no, the shirtless runner? Then- I know, I know. I think I might have to. I might have to run in the tracksuit. I could do it. I could do it. I, I wouldn't love it, but I could do it. Only would you do it with the rock. <laughs> I would do that with the rock. If I was in a full Under Armour tracksuit, 
and he said that was the stipulation for us to run, I would make that happen. We'll make sure it's in like Antarctica or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Another would you rather? Would you rather sweat maple syrup or cry strawberry jam? <laughs> Honestly, I'd rather sweat the maple syrup because then if I can use that as fuel on a can run, you sweet guy. I would. I would look, guys. I would not need to take any gels. I would just yeah. be able to lick off the maple syrup off my. Here's everything run. I ate to fuel my three, my two hour fifty marathon. I just licked the maple syrup. Yo, off Grandma's my marathon. Shout out, shout out to Grandma's for having a lot of maple syrup um available on the course i love that speaking my language okay last would you rather would you rather never be able to say the word mile again or have to twerk after every mile you run <laughs> i can go on without saying the word mile ever again okay one two exactly i'm gonna just say one 635 two 705 kilometers <laughs> Look, you guys saw the first time I Berlin. ever converted to K's yep. in Berlin. It was impressive. All right. The last Multi-time. question that we love to end our episode off with is what is a motto you live by? Ooh, you know what? This is actually something I've really, I wrote to, I journaled this yesterday. Um, and it's, it's, it's actually something I learned from my first job and it's treat the janitor how you would the CEO. Mm. And I think- it's truly how I live. And it's why I feel like I'm able to show up the way I do for anyone, regardless if I know them for a minute, for 10 years, or for they've started businesses or there's someone on the street. So I think that's something that I've really been reflecting on in terms of just the way that I want to continue to show up, regardless of what success I have in my life. It's treat the janitor how you would the CEO. I love that. Yeah, that's, that's a, so good. A really, really positive way to just live and interact with everybody that you encounter. Well, Matt, this has been so much fun. We're so happy we got to do this. And yeah, we're excited to have you back on later after Leadville. For, we need to get you up to New York. I know. When also. See you soon. I will see you guys soon. I might be in New York in two weeks. Maybe. I'm doing something with Dan oh. potentially, but it's not officially set in stone, but we'll all have to get a run in. Yeah, yeah for sure. Absolutely. But. I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait.